Hello and welcome back to Inside Update, where every other week we catch up about important headlines across Connecticut. As always, this show is brought to you by the team at InsideInvestigator.org. Today, I am joined by Mark Fitch, Trisha Ennis, and for the first time, our newest investigative reporter, Brandon Whiting. Brandon, welcome to the show and to the Inside Investigator team. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is exciting times. Uh, we're adding another person to our staff to better serve the people of Connecticut and rooting out corruption as part of our nonprofit mission. Catherine Revelo, who normally joins us, is off working on an upcoming investigation as we speak, so she is unfortunately not joining us on the show today. She will join us on the show next time. Let's jump right in. We're going to have three topics. The first is going to be issues at DCF. Mark, we're going to be picking your brain about what's going on with this agency. We're going to talk about the re-upping of an intimate partner violence bill that Brandon wrote about. And we're also going to talk about what I'm just calling Trisha Update, uh, which is going to be some updates to our staff uh, with the additional support of Brandon joining the team uh, and how we're handling that to better serve the people of Connecticut. Let's start right in with DCF, though. Mark, we had two articles written about DCF issues. One of them was yours. One of them was Catherine's. Give us the 30,000-foot view here. What's going on with this agency right now? Well, so the Office of the Child Advocate came out with a report on Tuesday. It was the second re second report since since October uh, regarding the death of a child who was under the supervision of DCF. In this case, uh, it was a 10-month-old baby, Marcelo, and Marcelo's parents both had a long history of drug abuse and criminal convictions. Uh, and DCF has shifted over the past, I don't know, decade or so in really trying to keep families together. They're trying to lessen their dependence on foster homes. They close, you know, obviously a lot of group homes and residential facilities have been closed down. They really push to keep families together. Sometimes that's good, uh, sometimes that's bad. In this case, it was bad. Um, and there were a lot of oversights, both on the probation side, because this uh, his mother had uh, violated probation numerous times uh, and was never served an arrest warrant. She was never taken in. It could have potentially saved that child. Uh, secondly, uh, on DCF's end, they were using a keeping family together model. They had one of their contractors working with the family to assess how the mother was doing. Was she still abusing heroin and fentanyl? Um, and so even though she failed two drug tests for fentanyl and I believe cocaine, they didn't do anything. They, they said that she completed the program and that she had maintained her sobriety over three months, and which is not a long period of time when you're dealing with, you know, addiction issues. That is, you know, People can go three months and just go right back into it. You can go three years and go right back into it. But she had failed a couple drug tests. They seemed to ignore that and said, she's good to go. They ended services. And I think it was about a week later that ba that baby was dead from ingestion of fentanyl. So 
this is, I, like I said, it's the, the last report from October, uh, child was under DCF supervision. That child was murdered by his father, uh, found buried in a park. So this is a problem for DCF. Um, they're currently in the midst of, um, confirming, a, a new commissioner to DCF. Uh, but the, Republicans in the Senate and the House are looking to have more oversight over this agency. DCF was re in 2022, they finally got out from under federal oversight and the federal oversight required them to do certain things. Now they don't, they're, nobody's really looking over their shoulder anymore except at the state level. And based on some, you know, issues that we've covered in the past regarding the Harwinton Star Home, I don't know how much oversight the state's actually trying to exercise over this department. Um, the informational hearing on the star home just seemed to kind of be like an open and shut thing. Like they brought the commissioner up. She explained some stuff. They kind of closed the books on it, which leads me to our other story involving DCF it, because of that Harwinton star home. Uh, we know that one lawsuit was filed against the home for uh, on behalf of a, a child who was, you know, in DCF custody and placed there because she had been exposed to illegal activities and, uh, you know, physical abuse by, you know, some of the other uh, girls at that home. But now there's a second lawsuit against the operator called Bridge Family. Uh, was it? Oh, uh, yeah, the Bridge Family Center. And this is on behalf of a 14-year-old girl who was residing in that star home who was raped by an adult staff member. So this is a this is a longtime contractor for DCF. DCF shut the home down, but that Bridge Family Center is now hit with their second lawsuit. They've never been sued before. They've been in operation for like 30, 40 years or something like that. Now they've got two in the matter in a matter of months and had to close down their one of their facilities. So, you know, DCF is a tough job, obviously, uh, but there are some things that I think can be done a little differently. One of the things the child advocate recommended was like, hey, you guys are doing Zoom meetings to check in on these families. How, you know, how are you actually supposed to assess how that family is doing if you're doing it? Pretty much the way we're having this conversation right now. Connor, I can't see if you have a giant bag of heroin sitting on the desk next to you because we're on this screen. So uh, there certainly needs to be some changes made and they might have to do some adjustment as to what their real goals are here. Um, they try to keep families together, but you know what? If if that family is not doing the work, if they're continuing to test positive for drugs, if they're continuing to, you know, commit crimes and things like that, and we're not even serving the warrants and we're keeping uh, a newborn in that situation, you're not doing it right. It definitely, it, yeah, it seems like the natural end there. And, you know, to your point as well, there, any any time that you're doing remote work, uh, you know, there's an element of trust there that things are going to be at least stable over a period of time. One of the things that stood out to me in your uh, write-up about the uh, the second lawsuit was the fact that the minor plaintiff who was in that Harwinton Star home 
said that she was there for such a short period of time before this issue happened. In the article, it says February 3rd and February 7th of 2021 was the period during which she was, quote, raped and sexually assaulted while at the facility by a facility employee. So, uh, you know, the significant physical and emotional harm happens very, very quickly. And that kind of accountability seems like uh, it, it needs to be addressed. We've talked about it previously that uh, I believe it was the end of uh, in January when you and I spoke. Uh, it was just, I think it was just Mark, you and I on the show that week about the fact that a, a new commissioner is not the end all be all. It's not the, the silver bullet for fixing these problems. Was there anything else that you're seeing out there that says, yes, here are other efforts that we are actively undertaking to fix these problems? Or is it still up in the air? Well, you know, DCF responded to the child advocates report uh, that that afternoon and listed off a bunch of things that they're trying to do differently. Uh, I think Brandon's going, you know, been looking into some of that. I, I was able to include some comment from them, but, you know, I couldn't go into the full details of what they're doing. But it is something that they also listed off in the report. I mean, it sounds very bureaucratic, uh, the language that comes across. Uh, you know, we're gonna, you know, update our alert systems and, you know, we're gonna do this different, we, you know, it's all, all these kind of like system implementation, I, you know, ideas. Um, you know, I think, but I, I think when it comes down to it, when you actually, the, the real problems are coming from on the ground, you know, boots on the ground issues. You know, where is your employee? They, they DCF never launched an investigation or any kind of disciplinary hearing for the staff who were overseeing that baby who died from fentanyl ingestion. So it's, you know, you can talk about you can talk about systems implementation and things like that, and that's all fine and good, you know, but when it wh where it really counts when you're dealing with the public on a day-to-day -day basis in their homes, you know, actual, you know, physical issues. That's, that's your, that's boots on the ground stuff. I mean, that's, that's your, that's your staff issue. Right. Um, and there needs to be more accountability. Um, I know they always, I know they always say they're short staff. Well, figure it out. Um, you know, I, I understand that they do have large caseloads, but, you know, when these kind of mistakes happen, uh, there's no going back. Right. I know we could talk about this all day. There's a lot to to build out. I mean, you know, staffing wise, for example, I was looking at it yesterday, $275 million in annual payroll uh, to DCF. Like uh, staffing is what it is, but that's a lot of money. Uh, there are a lot of people doing this job. Speaking of accountability, though, and uh, uh, individuals act, Let's talk uh, about an article that, Brandon, you wrote. Uh, there is a bill coming forward, intimate partner violence bill, uh, to give people access to information they weren't getting otherwise. Could you bring us up to speed on what's going on there? Um, yeah, absolutely. So this bill actually is not new. It was originally proposed uh, last year. Unfortunately, it kind of died on the vine, so to speak. So it's been reproposed by the same original sponsor, um, Representative Donna Beach. And essentially what the bill would look to do is it would provide in cases where a victim 
of intimate partner violence is a non-student at a Connecticut university. And, you know, the accused abuser is a student. It would provide essentially these non-student victims the same access to the investigation that student victims would have. Um, so it's supposed to, if the bill were to be passed, schools would have to notify the victim if an investigation had begun, provide them an opportunity to participate in it if they, you know, if they would so choose to. Uh, provide them with notification of what their roles and responsibilities would be. And perhaps most importantly, when the investigation is over, it would stipulate that schools actually have to share their findings. This all comes in response to a student of Central Connecticut State University, CCSU, who in 2020 reported uh, a case of intimate partner violence her boyfriend at the time was a CCSU baseball player, and they went back and forth, the family and the school, on the status of the investigation. The school was very curt with her, not very informative when they would respond to her. Um, there was a 10-month-long, quote-unquote, investigation, but we don't know any of the findings from it. The family was never made aware of it. They were made aware of the fact that the accused was allowed and continued to practice and play baseball. Um, and he graduated with a degree from the university as for any disciplinary action that was taken. They have no idea. And, you know, by the sounds of things it looked like there was very little. Um, so a family member of this victim reached out to Donna Veach last year and that's when Veach originally proposed the bill. She's reproposed it this year in hopes that it'll get passed. Um, this year, of course, it's a short session, so the odds may be a little stacked against it. But she did. Veach insisted that you know, even if it doesn't pass this year, she'd be happy to bring it up again next year as well. So we'll just have to kind of see how it plays out. It's always nice when you have to legislate people to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a that's a tough uh, yeah we're we're ta tackling two really difficult topics today uh you know as, as we we're looking at kind of what we've been writing about a, a lot of folks uh have been reaching out to us with tips that are they're, they're heavy um you know people are frustrated when they see stuff that's going wrong and i was glad to see uh, you know, Brandon able to get you a tip and, and send you over to someone who's able to talk about steps that they're taking. I know you talked about the uh, the limited uh, length of session and the fact that that could get in the way. Did Was there any indication given of general legislative support for this measure or would it die on the vine also because people just don't really care at the statehouse? Uh, well, it's kind of impossible to say, right? Um Obviously, Veach being a representative herself and having to go into work and see these people every day who are in charge of that would be the um, Committee on Higher Education. And I believe Employment Advancement is the relevant committee to which, you know, they'll have to look at her letter, look at her proposed legislation, decide whether or not, you know, it's something they want to take on this year. Um, so she said, you know, basically the ball is in their court. Uh, she couldn't, she didn't want to speculate as to how much demand or, you know, what their motives may be for or against the bill. Um, 
So again, it's kind of a crappy answer, but it's one of those we'll just have to wait and see sort of deals, unfortunately. Well, you know, and and this this comes as, you know, the CCSU and their sister, you know, universities are all clamoring for more funding from the government. And the Committee on Higher Education is, as far as I can tell, generally supportive of that. Um, so, you know, it's give us more money, but, you know, when it comes to when it comes to serious things that, you know, where people are injured and, you know, despite all our claims of being so, you know, oh, we're we, you know, we we they're, they're their claims of, you know, trying to help people who are victims of domestic violence and, you know, racial injustice and all those kind of stuff, you know, they all just kind of fall flat, you know, when you actually look at their actions. So I'm a little cranky about this stuff today. I, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> we might have to take a look at uh, uh, the, the kangaroo court system in higher ed, too, because these are not actual like judicial proceedings. This is something where there's you know a different standard of proof. For example, a lot of times all that it takes to hold someone guilty is more likely than not, not clear and convincing evidence or anything like that. So uh, there's, there's kind of some gamesmanship going on uh, in these courts. And oftentimes that there, there are students uh, and faculty members uh, who sit on these judicial panels uh, to, you know, to have a cross section of a, a jury of one's peers. Uh, but there's certainly some questions uh, that I'd like answered about, you know, what kind of training are these people getting uh, mm -hmm. if stuff like this is falling through the cracks and required requiring a, you know, statehouse action when, when this could be handled on campus. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to play quasi court, you know, in your university, then play it right. One would think. One would think uh, we'll we'll have to talk about that during an investigations meeting and see what what we could uncover. Uh, maybe maybe some uh, policies that need to be foiled to get a better understanding. Uh, again, two really difficult topics. I'd like to wrap up this episode uh, with some exciting stuff, some positivity uh, about where Inside Investigator is going. Obviously, I mentioned at the beginning, Brandon's on the team. Two thumbs up. Very excited about this. A new reporter, someone else coming in to uh, help us out and, and serve the people of Connecticut. Uh, this also is going to mean a change in your role, Tricia. This is something that yep. we talked about for a long time, something we've been excited about, something that we planned for. We got the support. We got the team members. Fill us in a little bit. What are you going to be doing now? Yeah, Um the largest thing I think anyone in the public is going to notice if they notice uh, is that my name's going to appear in a lot fewer stories. Uh, so I won't be doing, you know, our, our daily news pieces um, that we, that we do every week uh, anymore. Um, Brandon's taking over my, my part on that. Um, so Godspeed. And uh, I will be doing different though, not fewer um, larger stories. So part of our, um, regular investigations, uh, rather than working on, you know, more of the harder hitting stuff. Um, I'm going to be focusing a lot more on the stuff that I find fun and that I hope that our readers find fun, uh, which is more inside oddities um, and sort of expanding the definition of what that regular piece is. Um, so looking more at people with interesting jobs or interesting hobbies. Um, I'm still going to be doing probably more of the strange locations in the city or the city, the state. Um, but also I want to do, you know, history, um, 
weird stuff going on in your town. That one person that everybody knows about who does like, you know, the giant Christmas display every year or who is the one behind a big town event. Uh, I want to know a little bit more about what they do. Um, so I have some ideas uh, as to what's going to be going on over the next several months. Um, just ideas on who I'm going to talk to uh, and what I'm going to profile and what I want to teach people of Connecticut about uh, and myself, obviously, because this is a learning experience for all of us. Um, but of course, I'm always taking suggestions. And uh, I, honestly, the best stuff is going to come from people in these cities and towns who like really know what's going on, what weird history you have, what strange landmark do you have, what who what, what was some cool person who lives and works in your town or, you know, just someone that you know about. Um, I want to know about those people. So. Love that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a recognition that, yes, of course, as as this episode certainly demonstrates, we tackle the stuff that's nitty gritty and, you know, sometimes absolutely brutal to read and write about. Uh, but Connecticut has many beautiful, interesting, unique elements to it as a state. Uh, and that starts with, you know, that's a, that's a delivery on our journalism by humans for humans is we don't want to lose that. We want to preserve that. Uh, so it's actually going to mean an additional investigation feature piece uh, into mm -hmm. the cycle. Uh, so an additional person in that rotation. Uh, and to be clear, we're not losing Trisha as nope. a personality on this. Uh, you actually may see more of her face uh, because yes. she's going to be working. So, I mean, fill us in here as well, just briefly videos, social media posting, yeah. visual design. Our digital team is growing to meet mm -hmm. the increased need in the digital world. Yeah, um, something that most people probably don't know about me because they don't talk to me every single day like you guys do, uh, is that I come from, so my previous background at my last position was as a digital manager uh, for a larger, more legacy newsroom, just trying to figure out how to take the pieces that we do every single day and communicate them to people who may or may not be, you know, getting journalism through traditional means right so we're doing we're seeing a lot fewer people tuning into local news and watching you know those stories happen there we're seeing a lot fewer people especially with print uh with print news so online publications i think like us have a unique position to figure out new ways to deliver the information that we're providing to a changing audience that is you know we're trying to get younger people who maybe haven't grown up with legacy uh news sources essentially and more of this new media landscape so my interest that i have from that previous experience and now coming into this is figuring out the best way to do that like i i love doing the reporting i think it's great and it's obviously extremely vital but i think that there's a different kind of skill and a different kind of um dedication that it takes to take like these you know six thousand word pieces that mark is writing every you know five weeks and turning them into something that everyone can access easily so that we're getting people who maybe aren't coming to our website directly but are actually getting all their news on TikTok, um or are getting all their news on instagram or are getting at least an introduction to this stuff on these social media platforms that where you're not able to read all of this stuff um so i'll be looking at ways to do more video stuff we are launching our TikTok pretty soon um just trying to figure out ways to to entertain people with vital information um, and to get people to, you know, stop scrolling for, you know, a minute and understand sort of the work that we're doing, the information that we have and why it's relevant to them, even if, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like it's affecting their daily lives. It's going to be a unique challenge. It's going to be fun. Uh, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of good work to do there. And uh, yeah, the repackaging is going to be fantastic uh you know i'm selfish i'm i'm all right to admit this we want to move people down the funnel from a 2 second video 
to 6,000 words of reading, uh, right? It's, it's not uh, where, where everyone is, but, but there's a ton of good information out there and, and really high quality journalism that this team mm -hmm. is doing uh, that I'm, I'm really excited to help reach more people. Yeah. And, and I do think that like, it's increasingly, we're finding more, it more difficult to get people sort of like, as you said, down that funnel, trying to get people to engage with any kind of you know, hard hitting journalism, like a lot of the stuff that we do um, at that sort of level that they're at, right? You want to meet people where they are and then try to bring them where you are. Um, and getting people just aware of the work that we're doing is the first step in getting people to really read and engage with the work as it is. Um, and so that's that's definitely going to be part of my job. And it's something that I'm really looking forward to experimenting with and figuring out how people really want to consume this information and how to get it to them and then get them to us. So. I'll, uh, I'll try to do future stories in the form of interpretive dance that you can post on TikTok. <laughs> Please, if you can create the next viral TikTok dance through a, a news story, I will. Connor should give you a raise. I will let I'll him get know. right on that. I was yeah. going to yeah. say, I'm actually going to open up a special uh, donor category for the Mark Fitch interpretive dance uh, production, uh, which I don't. Mark, you know what? You set that price. We'll talk about it offline. Uh, but anyone who wants to uh, sponsor that endeavor, please do not hesitate to reach out. Connor at insideinvestigator.org is the best way to get in touch with me. I come uh, cheap. <laughs> cheap. How many cases of Diet Coke? Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we it's wrap It's expensive, up, Connor. And it, it's very fair. <laughs> expensive habit. We are not sponsored by Diet Coke, though we would love to be. Uh, that would be a great step for us. If you like what we do, listeners, readers, watchers, uh, and you're excited about these changes and developments in our business, consider becoming a donor. Uh, insideinvestigator.org is the place to do that. Head over to the website. You can hit that donate button up in the top right-hand corner to join the ranks of those who support our nonprofit journalism. We will be back in two weeks. Thank you, Mark, Brandon, and Trisha for your efforts today. Until then, be well, stay safe, and stay informed.